Hey, it's Josh. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you all know that the Vermont Public Spring Membership Drive has arrived. Donations from folks like you make everything we do here possible. If you want to help support our people-powered journalism, be sure to make a donation in any amount by March 16th by going to bravelittlestate.org donate. And as always, thank you for your support. From Vermont Public, this is Homegoings from Brave Little State. I'm Manigoski, and a heads up, this episode contains strong language. I didn't even realize, like, how much pain that I was in from all the trauma of growing up mixed in Vermont. I feel like the grief, it really started with George Floyd and all of the protesting and, like, you know, finally speaking up and people sharing stories and feeling their pain. The murder of George Floyd incited thousands of protests, both nationally and across the globe. Tens of millions of people supported the Black Lives Matter movement and rebelled against the history and present moment of police brutality. And for some, an internal reckoning began to take shape. That really sparked it in me where I was like, oh, wow, like this is something that I've been struggling with for so long and now I can like let this pain out. For Liza Phillip, the murder of George Floyd was sort of like a heartbreaking, momentous catalyst to reckon with the discrimination they've endured their entire life. It was like a very, very, like, deep sadness. Yeah, that was like slowly being released. Welcome to Homegoings. Since the one-year anniversary of the murder of George Floyd, we have been sharing conversations with Vermont artists of color and taking a deep listen to their art. Today, I'm talking to 28-year-old, Burlington-based, biracial, queer, non-binary painter and creator, Liza Phillip. Oh, this is legit. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, this is cool. If you've listened to our other Homegoings interviews, you know that we've centered this series on a metaphor for the Black experience, a home with four pillars upholding it. Grief, rage, joy, and healing. If there's one pillar Liza aligns with most right now, it's definitely healing. When we come together and we allow space to like talk about the stuff that we're struggling with, I think that that is like a really like big part of the process of healing. Liza is still very much on their journey. And in part, it's a journey toward their blackness as they navigate their complex racial identity here in Vermont. We have support from Vermont Public Sustaining Members. Welcome. Thanks to Vita for their support of Brave Little State. Since 1974, Vita has helped Vermont businesses grow and thrive. From agriculture to energy, startups to family companies. Find solutions that fit your business. Visit VEDA.org to start your next chapter today. And Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer-owned business crafting CBD products right here in Vermont. Learn more about their sustainable farming practices, delivery options, and how to support local farmers. 
at sunsetlakecbd.com. Before we get started, I just want to say that I'm honored by the trust and transparency Liza had with me and grateful to them for being willing to share a bit of their story with me. I'm white, and even though I have a sister who's black and black friends and I can listen to them all day long, I'll never truly understand Liza's experience. It's complicated. Just listen to their answer to my very first question. Do you identify as being black? Yeah, it's like kind of interesting because I grew up in Vermont and I was raised by like my white side of my family. Like my mom's white and my dad's black, but my mom raised me. So I've basically been raised like as a white person, but I have like black skin and I am black. And I've like been more starting to feel more connected to my blackness. The tension Liza displays here with their Black identity is central to their story and life. As you'll hear, they are constantly processing what it means to have more than one racial identity to navigate in Vermont, in the world, and inside their very own body. Liza, like most of us, is just one human being doing their best to try and figure it all out. Describing Liza Phillip is like trying to describe a moving, breathing masterpiece. They have tattoos all over their body, rock a head full of blonde braids, and wear whatever they want. But it wasn't always that way. I dressed really femme, and so I was like really just trying so hard to fit in. And so now I'm like, I literally want to do every possible thing I can do to stand out and just have fun with it. And so I will just put together outfits that feel super ridiculous and I just enjoy it. I just think it's really fun and funny. And it feels like me. It's, it's, and it's also kind of like tapping into like your kid self. You know, like when you're a kid and your parents let you dress yourself and you put on a dress over jeans with the most ridiculous vest or something and you just look completely crazy and you're wearing your shoes the opposite way. Why should that have to be corrected? Why do we have to fit into this little box? So I'm like, no, like I'm going to wear two different shoes and I'm going to wear a tie and I'm going to like push the norm. Their bold clothing style is just another area in their life where they challenge what the world tells them they should be. I don't actually feel very connected to like being like a she her or a he him like I feel very much in the middle of all that like I feel feminine and masculine and at the same time like I don't really want to like put it in a box it's it's definitely been challenging because not everybody will like receive it you know and I just continue to feel uncomfortable I can't really go backwards and I don't really want to Liza eventually began practicing acceptance. With long paintbrushes and a blank canvas, they learned to not only accept their queer identity, but to love it. I also just think it's really fun. The way that it's kind of like manifested into my art is just like really playful and fun and funny. And it it just like, it feels really happy. And so, and it it feels like it's like being celebrated. And so I really like that part of it because it's like, I can be like, proud of this part of me and I don't have to like be shameful which is what I felt most of my life. In addition to being a painter, Liza is also a musician and a songwriter. And as you'll hear through our conversation, they use their art to heal the wounds from their childhood growing up with black skin in a predominantly white skin state. 
I mean, it's just something that I kind of put up with. It just kind of gets like joked off like oh it's like not that serious you know like little comments made here and there just to like make me feel out of place and I don't think that they realize how harmful it is and also like I didn't really feel like I could share how harmful it is. In that quote Liza was referring to some of their white family members. They grew up in Bethel Vermont with six biracial siblings and a white mom. When you were growing to love these white family members do you think that race was a factor into your love for them? I didn't even think about it. I didn't even think about myself as being different until I was, like, old enough to, like, have people say that to me in school. But, like, no, I mean, I saw my family and I just thought, that's my family. Like, I didn't think, oh, I have brown skin, that makes me different. I just thought, like, this is my family, you know? Like, I just see people that... And there's just love here and that's it. Like it wasn't, I didn't really notice, but I think that's also a privilege, you know, at the same time to be like not noticing that I'm different from them. My mom did her best, um, but she also like didn't really teach us much about our like black history. And so like, you know, she just kind of raised us the way she was raised. And connecting with my blackness is something that I'm doing now as an adult. And I didn't really have the space or chance to really do that as a kid. Liza went to school with about 300 white kids and just a handful of black kids. I didn't really think that I was different from anybody else until my friends would like point it out at school. You know, like the stuff that like most people had to deal with, with like people touching your hair and like just like weird, just weird comments about my skin color. I don't know. It was just like people like saying the N-word and I would be like, I didn't really know what it meant back then. Um, And it's just something that they like heard from their parents. It was pretty challenging being a kid in Vermont, honestly. Do you wish that your parents talked more about race to you and what it means? I definitely had a really loving childhood. So I think I had my innocence longer because my mom didn't really, like, focus on that so much. But I also think it's an important conversation that maybe, like, as we got older should have been incorporated into us learning that, like, this is the reality of the world. Also, I've struggled a lot with certain friends who, like, have this anger towards white people and they like they make comments and I struggle because I'm like, those are the people that I love and that that's how I was raised. And so they're kind of expecting me to jump on board and be like, yeah, like that's fucked up. And I'm kind of like, I feel like I'm on the fence because I have so many people in my life that I love that have that white privilege. And then at the same time, it's like, I feel like, you know, like that's really valid that other people have had these awful experiences and have built up this anger as well. You'll notice that Liza references the fact that they grew up in Vermont a lot. But they're not just doing it for the sake of our geographical orientation. For Liza's journey to love their Black identity, their environment mattered. Growing up in Vermont, you know, you don't see a lot of people that are, you know, different diversities and, like, different, um, you know, ethnicities and stuff. And so... I moved to Boston and I was like, holy shit, like, there's a whole world out here. This was in 2013. I was like, whoa, like, I didn't even realize that I had felt like such an oddball until I moved to Boston. And I was like, like so many different kinds of people. Like, it felt like I could breathe for the first time. 
During my interview with Liza, they expressed this consistent, almost imposter syndrome for living the Black experience, for them not understanding Black culture enough, for them not being in the Black community enough. Liza often feels like they have to defend their Blackness while simultaneously having separation from it. I grew up in Vermont, you know, and like I also come from like a biracial family. So like my mom's family raised me and my siblings. I definitely feel just from like my experiences growing up, the way that I look and living in Vermont, you know, I definitely have felt like an outsider. But yeah, I can't also understand what it's like to like come from a black family and like be raised in, you know, like a more like predominantly black neighborhood you know what I mean do you wish that you were I think in ways just because like people just kind of have that expectation of me in a way I think it would I would have learned more about about black history just from like being raised in that environment in that way I do wish that I did have a very like loving family on my mom's side and so I feel really lucky and like super supportive so in a lot of ways I feel really grateful for how I was raised and the family that I have. So it's kind of like, you know, both, a little bit of both. People are like, <laughs> kind of, you know, they ask me these questions and they're like, how do you not know about this stuff? And I'm like, I was raised in Vermont. Um, and they don't really understand because I think that people just assume so much just from like looking at you. I did this, I assumed. At one point, I asked Liza if they ever experienced colorism within the black community because I assumed that they knew what colorism meant. They didn't. And I don't want to assume that you do either, so. Colorism is prejudice towards folks with darker skin, typically among people in the same ethnic or racial group. Within the black community, colorism has many layers, since historically, many differentiations in skin tones had to do with slavery, slave breeding, and rape. I do think that there is, like, a level of, like, light skin privilege. And so, like, I don't fully understand what it would be like to have, like, very, very dark skin and be in this world. I think that's, like, probably one of the hardest places to be. And Liza has experienced discrimination within the Black community. One time, a complete stranger tapped directly into Liza's struggles with their racial identity. And he was like, that bitch isn't even Black. That was difficult because it's like I do struggle with like figuring out my place in this world and so I definitely like to have somebody actually say something that I already am like struggling with it was like a lot to process it made me feel pretty sad and anxious these isolated incidents hit Liza in like a shock wave they ripple they scar they stay Liza says more than once, white cyclists and drivers have raised their hand up in a gun shape, pointed it at them, and then pulled the trigger. I was kind of just like, like, why would you, why would you do that to somebody? Like, that's just such a strange thing to do. A different time, a white woman approached Liza and asked where they were from. And she was very close to me, which also was kind of shocking. Like, this person's just like getting really in my space. And I told her Vermont, and she was like, I don't believe you. And then that it kind of like shifted because I was like, what is happening here? Like, what is the purpose of this conversation? And so I was just kept, kept repeating myself, like, I'm from Vermont. And she 
just kind of started accusing me of like coming into the state and like basically was saying that I needed to like leave Vermont. And that was super traumatic for me because I was born here and she didn't believe me and that that like triggers a lot of stuff from my like childhood. And so I think like that was a pretty tough experience. I actually cried a lot afterwards because it was like really like startling that kind of just like shifted everything where I was just like, okay, now I need to like talk about the stuff that I've been struggling with. These are these are things that are happening in Vermont. Let's go back for a second and remind ourselves what a homegoing actually is. It's a common tradition in the Black community where the death of a loved one can be celebrated as a sort of return home. In ways, this time in Liza's life is like a return home to their Blackness, embodying and recognizing it on their own time and in their own way. Healing is hard. It doesn't feel good all the time, most of the time. Maybe just one day you're just feeling really low and it's like, oh, I was like doing all this work and I was feeling really good and now I'm like feeling really bad. So I'm not healing, you know, and it's like, no, actually you are healing. It just doesn't look like a straight line. Like there's not like a start and a finish. It's like ongoing and it's more of like a long term outcome, a long term joy. It's not going to happen right away. One of my favorite paintings of Liza's includes two flowers drooping over one another with a simple message. Healing isn't linear. When we come back, Liza, the artist. Welcome back to Homegoings, a series from Brave Little State where we talk with artists of color and take a deep listen to a piece of their work. I'm Maina Guskey, and today we are talking with painter and singer Liza Phillip. I was always creating. Art was my favorite thing to do in school even when I wasn't when I was supposed to be like doing like study hall or something like that I would always just like go down to the art room and just like work on a piece of art because it just it made me feel comfortable and safe and also really excited and then in middle school they kept making art but their motivation to make it changed I think like a way to get people to accept me I like had to become something important so I started making art for like the kids that everybody liked like all the popular kids and then like that was like my way to like you know not be an outcast so like I guess I used art as a way to survive middle school and high school and like feel important. Do you think that you are still in some ways making art for those popular middle school kids? Definitely not. Do it cause it feels good. Do it cause it feels right. Do it cause I feel like now it's more about me like really expressing like my genuine true self and feeling like very comfortable to do that. Before it was more about trying to be what I thought other people wanted me to be. And now I'm like I'm I'm not willing to do that anymore. Liza was 26 when they started painting colorful monsters. They use acrylic paint, wall paint, and paint markers. The pieces are filled with bright colors around genderless monsters. The monsters are often silly-looking and accompanied by an emblematic heart, lightning bolt, or Saturn pattern on their chest, 
wavy pink tongs, and a message. Messages include, we are all connected, don't assume my gender, and protect your energy. When I was creating, I, I left the characters white, not as in like to be like a representation of skin color. It was more of kind of like to be like a blank canvas so that anybody that was experiencing the art was able to kind of like see themselves in it. And so I wanted that part to kind of be like open to all. While Liza says they're artists for everyone, it is a communication of their unique lived experience. It is not just to look at, it is to process, it is to connect with others in their community, those that share in their truth, those that feel the words in their body. Even though like I do want it to feel like it's for everyone, I almost feel like there's just like a lack of understanding about like what the messages really mean. And so like when I'm like around like I don't know, like the college students or like when I'm around like the queer community or like the BIPOC community and they like give me this feedback, I'm like, okay, this is literally the reason why I do this. But then like, I don't know, when I'm on Church Street and people are like looking at this work and they're just kind of like just throwing money at stuff, I'm like, that's not that's not really like what the goal is here. Because of growing up in a majority white town with very little positive recognition of their black identity, they struggled to feel seen. They felt invisible, and part of creating these unmistakable, goofy monsters was to finally acknowledge themselves and to celebrate their humanness. The silly, the ugly, the beauty, the weird, the simple, the universal just like really wanting to to speak to the people who have struggled and it's like almost everybody right like pretty much everybody yeah and so yeah like I'm working on healing that child currently so I think that like has played a role in my art do it cause it feels right do it cause it feels right Liza turned their agony into art, into their image and work and love and expression. They had every right to get mad at the world and feel crippled by the pain. Instead, they chose to create. After years of using painting to be accepted by the white kids in school, they sure as hell do not do this anymore. Do it cause it feels right. Do it cause it feels right. Do it. What do I want to make? And that was a big question that kind of shifted things because I was like, you know, like there's no limits. I could literally do anything when it's just for myself. Really what matters the most is that you, you know, think that your work is good enough. In all of this hard work of being biracial and queer and non-binary in Vermont, and also all the other hard parts of being human, Liza was struggling to connect with themselves. I just like went rollerblading because that's what I do when my mind feels really full. So they rollerbladed to Oakledge Park and went to the furthest, flattest rock and looked up directly at the sky. Because I feel like there's moments where we do feel really lost in our lives. But it wasn't that I was lost. It was just that I was like disconnected. So it was almost like I was like returning back to myself. 
and like it felt like coming home. Um, so I wrote this song. So settle in and truly listen. Listen deeply. Here is Liza Phillip singing an unnamed and unreleased song. You were never lost, darling. You were just returning. You were never lost, darling. You were just returning. Thanks so much for listening to Homegoings, a series from Brave Little State. To see and hear some of Liza's work, head to Liza underscore S underscore art on Instagram or our website, bravelittlestate.org. While you're there, you can listen back to our other Homegoings interviews and sign up for the BLS newsletter. If you want to see Liza paint live, there's a Homegoings performance coming up on February 11th at Spruce Peak Performing Arts Center in Stowe. Find more info and tickets at bravelittlestate.org. Special thanks to Myra Flynn for fostering such a beautiful, important series. Another thank you to Hannah Braun, Dan Cahill, and Remy Lamal Brown. And also, of course, thank you to Liza for being so generous with your time and words. Homegoings is a production of Vermont Public, made by the Brave Little State team. Myra Flynn, Josh Crane, Angela Evansy, and me. I reported, produced, and mixed this episode... The wonderful Elodie Reed designed the graphics. Myra Flynn composed the Homegoings theme music with other music today by Liza Phillip. That first song you heard was called Do It Cause It Feels Good. If you've liked this episode, please make a gift at bravelittlestate.org donate or just send this episode to someone you love. I'm May Nagusky. We'll be back soon with more people-powered storytelling. Until then. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. 
Find NPR's Through Line wherever you get your podcasts.